Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And on this week's Anachronismo, we're going to be talking about the Koinor Diamond, or Mountain of Light, and how Ranjit Singh, the Maharaja of the Punjab, took it from its previous owner, Shah Shuja, who was the ruler of the Durrani Empire and King of Afghanistan. Ooh, mm-hmm. That's cool. And deposed. But Ooh. not by Singh. It's a story. Ooh, okay. Um, And I'll be talking about a very ambitious public works project, um, how Seattle regraded itself. And those of you who heard our live episode about the Great Seattle Fire know that I teased how exciting this was. (laughs) It's a real roller coaster ride underneath the level of a city. Oh, yeah. It goes up (laughs) and then down. Literally tried. And then down and then down. down. Where they literally tried to make a roller coaster on the trains under the city Mm -hmm. and so many derailments. Mm -hmm. So many crashes into those wooden scaffolds that were holding up the sidewalk. And nobody got to work on time. But they had fun. They had a lot of fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And isn't that really the most important part? No. no. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, I guess there you could argue from like just one, like a very limited perspective. And but like I the will. The vast majority of them, probably. <laughs> Only if your public works project is to build a park or a zoo. Mm, and then yeah. the fun is all that matters. Yeah. The fun's begun <laughs> on a public park. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in to the Koh i Noor. So, uh, some background on this. I bet you're probably asking, what's the Koh-i-Noor? What is that? I think it's a diamond. It is a diamond. It is the world's, or was the world's, largest diamond at the time. A huge diamond of about 186 carats. Uh, For reference, that's larger than my fist. Max has an average-sized hand. I have an average-sized hand. And at the time of our story, it had been a symbol of power in the Middle East and Asia for centuries. Since at least the 1400s, it's murky on when exactly it was first mined uh, because of the way that, you know, that record-keeping works. But it has been around for a long, long time and had been in the possession of various emperors and kings uh, for a while. Been fought over by armies, uh, traded by shahs and emperors. People had, people had died for this uh, gemstone several times. Uh, they died several times. Several <laughs> people have died. Had died for this gemstone. Oh, oh, but so they didn't many die, come back to life no, no, and no, no, then no. die. Okay, okay. I've yeah. got a general diamond question. Yes. Do diamonds have uses, like besides being pretty? So interesting that you say that. So the Kohinoor and diamonds in general in the culture of the region were said to have curative powers to okay. extend people's lives and cure diseases uh, and to like raise your spiritual energy. Uh, in practical terms, they're very hard. They're good for drill surfaces. They can mm-hmm. cut a lot of things, that sort of a thing. But uh, not really. Okay. Like they're not really that useful of a of a of a of an object. They don't have a lot of practical value, especially not if you want them to remain in you know one good. piece. Yeah. yeah. For a minute there, I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> for a minute, I was thinking. I was like, wait, I thought there was some sort of application with laser beams going through them but then i think i might be mistaking the action scene from the 1996 movie congo where they <laughs> are attacking all these you know giant and never before seen gorillas and they have just one laser weapon that looks like a like <laughs> they just put a big diamond in it and only one diamond will work so i i think i probably am thinking about that i mean <laughs> that scene that. is probably based on a little bit of truth like i think i think it is has some laser applications. Gemstone gemstones like have lenses. interesting ab- uh, qualities when it comes to light because they're made of densely packed atoms uh, that are arranged in a crystal lattice. And they can split light in interesting ways and things like that. You know, I want to have... I don't have the time to do the math for this mm-hmm. right now. Okay. But I want to do the math for the density of atoms in uh, a diamond mm-hmm. and put it in real terms by like how many atoms like fitting into like a coliseum or gym just guys name adam you would have to stuff into a, a gymnasium stuff into to like a gymnasium a to like give the real perspective on like uh, a diamond versus like uh i don't know a 
A mushy blob of humans. A mushy blob. Yeah, the mush- the atoms in a mushy blob versus the atoms in a diamond. You should do that, and then you should send that to Randall Monroe for him to put up on his website under his own name. Who is that? He's the guy who does XKCD. Oh, yeah. Remember we met his sister. Oh, yeah. Friend of- so, at the time, the Koinor, and Koinor means mountain of light because it was in a cut, I think a rose cut that made it look like a, a small mountain, and it's huge in the, like, the way that light catches the light, you know. The Koinor was essentially a, a symbol of rulership in uh, in the region. You know, there was a whole belief that the owner of the Koinor was destined for greatness and was sort of the, had the sort of divine right of kings on their side. So, very, very contested diamond. And of course, besides that, just massively valuable. I think the most, uh, there are like two very poetic ways that its value was estimated, um, has been estimated over the years. If you had four strong men stand back to back and each throw rocks as hard as they could, uh, and then fill the region between that with gold up to your head's height, it would still not equal the value of the Koinor. Um, wow. And another, yeah, another person estimated that the Koinor, and this was like back in the 1700s, they estimated that the value of the Koinor was enough to feed the entire world for three days. Of course, this was at this was 1700s estimates of the entire world. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually like I'm actually really fascinated with that second calculation, like how they like what kind of like diner napkin they <laughs> did the math on that <laughs> one with. Uh, you know. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find out their reasoning behind that. Yeah, because uh, it, it is very poetic. The men, the men throwing the stones, definitely like a good visual to that. But like they really thought, like that one seems to like they really, they really abstracted. Like, hey, what would it really do? Mm-hmm. Like, what can we make this do worldwide? Feed everyone on Earth for three days. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, we're we're gonna go pick up lunch. Uh, how many diamonds are you gonna eat? Two. Two. Uh, like half carrot. Uh, yeah. Okay, Max, what do you want? <laughs> you know, I I, I think uh, I'm gonna go for a whole carrot it's instead too late. of two I half carrots. I already wrote it down. Uh, I'll the meatball sub. All right, oh, quarter carrot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ruby's in the center of the meatballs, right, please. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, and that's a nice emerald sauce. Yeah. <laughs> and then people were nervous because they were like, "Oh my gosh, is Jackie paying for this? I don't want to ask for too much gems." And yeah. then people like lowballed. Yeah. Can I get like some shaved like emerald on it? Nope. I already wrote down what you're getting. (laughs) So I have to ask everyone in the world. I can't come back to you when you change your mind. I understand. So at the time of our story, the Kohinoor resides in the hands of Shah Shuja, ruler of the Durrani Empire, the king of Afghanistan. And at the time of our story in 1809. Sorry, are you saying Afghanistan? Afghanistan, yes. uh, At the time of our story in 1809, he had been recently deposed and overthrown by Mahmud Shah and was wandering in exile in the Punjab. So he's wandering the area with his family and his court, including his brother Shah Zaman, uh, who was bl- recently blinded by someone who wanted the Kohinoor from him. Mm. And I might get to that later if we have time, but I'll put that in a special segment. Did um, it involve bouncing light off the diamond? It did not. Oh. It's <laughs> far worse. Uh, but okay. then we're going to save that because that's not part of this main story. Right. If we have time in the episode, I'm going to do a segment called The Gross Parts, and you're going to hear all about it. Oh. And uh, also with him was his wife, Wafa Begum. So... They're wandering through the Punjab, and there are many uh, nobles who, you know, are former allies of, the, of theirs, current allies of theirs, former enemies of theirs, neutral but interested, and many of them want the Kohinoor. And the one we're going to focus on who wants the Kohinoor the most right now is Ranjit Singh, uh, the Maharaja of the Punjab. And he invited Shah Shuja to visit his court uh, and said that he and his court and his family were always welcome as his guests in the walled city of Lahore. Um, and at the time, uh, Shuja didn't take him up on his offer because he was trying to rally an army, you know, take back his army. He's got important shit to do. So the uh, Maharaja, is that sort of uh, almost like a leader of a province within Afghanistan or like where? where like, so that- this is the Punjab, which is part of India. Um, oh, all right. Uh, current day India. Maharaja is, is a Sanskrit title that means great ruler or great king or high king. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. The other question I had is: person who um, was uh, disposed, deposed, deposed. There uh, we go. Shah Shuja. Why wasn't he killed? Like that? Why wouldn't they have? Uh... Well, he was defeated in battle and escaped with his oh, life and his okay. court. But hey, yeah, was pretty much routed out of there. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's also some stuff about divine right of kings, bargaining. There's, there's a lot of interesting parts about it. He's not like totally out of allies. To- not totally out of an army, but he is. Much diminished, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, those are our, our main players right now. Ranjit Singh, Shah Shuja, Wafa Begum. With me so far? Mm-hmm. Yep. So Ranjit Singh is the Maharaja of the Punjab. You know, he had smallpox when he was a boy, uh, survived it, became like a, uh, a military conqueror, changed his name to Ranjit, which means the victorious, I believe. Things like that. So he's, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Um, and he invites uh, Shuja and his court to stay with him. Shuja turns him down and wants to go campaign with his allies in the region to try and raise an army. But he doesn't want to, t- to bring his family with him because it's going to be dangerous. And he doesn't want to bring the Koh-i-Noor with him because he doesn't want to have to devote the resources to keep it safe while he's on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. So he leaves uh, Wafa Begum, his wife, with Ranjit Singh. And she- he leaves the Koh-i-Noor with her in secret to keep them all safe, right? And Shah Shuja goes and, and travels uh, along. We're going to get back to Wafa in a little bit. So Shuja goes and visits the courts of his allies for a few months. And he asks them to help him mount a campaign against his usurper, uh, Shah Mahmud. And one night, while he is trying to r- rally these people together, a former courtier of his comes to him and invites him to stay at the fortress of Atak, where his allies have apparently thrown him a, a feast and are willing to discuss things, right? Oh, this sounds like a trap. Ooh, yep. Mm. So according to the journals of Mirza Atta, it, yes, it was indeed a trap. Good, good eye. <laughs> and I'm going to just read from this primary source here. They invited Shah Shuja to a private party where they served sweet watermelons and started playfully throwing the melon skins at each other. Mm. But the jest bit by bit turned to scorn and effrontery, and Shah Shuja soon found himself arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Held first in a talk, then sent under close surveillance to Kashmir where he was kept prisoner in a fort. The lancet was frequently held over his eyes, and his keeper once took him into the Indus with his arms bound, threatening him with instant death if he didn't hand over the celebrated diamond. Oh, does the lancet have to do with how his brother was blinded? Uh, it is interestingly related, but it is not. But they, <laughs> Not so, in the way you'd think. No, it, it is interestingly related, yes, you know, similar to how his brother was blinded. So there's an element of, like, he knows it's like a very familiar threat, very awful threat. <laughs> but yeah, I, part of that I really loved <laughs> Is that they're all... He started out really lighthearted. Started out really lighthearted. I just looked at... I love picturing... It's, especially because it says, it, the jest bit by bit turned to score into just like this playful watermelon fight. Oh, we've all yeah. been in that situation. Turns dark. Like it actually was a real party and then like he did something that like soured the mood. He threw like one of the skins too hard and it hit someone and then they get like <laughs> mad and just... They throw it a little harder, and someone else throws it a little harder. And before you know it, everyone's just like smacking each other in the face with watered melons. Blood is rolling, and it's eventually just clapped in irons at the end of it. Uh, then someone quickly carves a watermelon helmet, puts it on. <laughs> uh, they launch a campaign that lasts years. Yes, I mean, if I was going to get betrayed at a party, it sounds like a pretty uh, yeah, fun. No, yeah, it sounds like a. It sounds like an okay way to. Okay, wait Find yourself betrayed. arrested at the end of a party. Like, at in least your you're honor. having fun. You yeah. Know? At least you feel like you had a fun time. You earned it, right? Yeah. yeah. So Shuja was handed over to Atta Muhammad Khan, who imprisoned him in a fortress located high on the Kui Maran mountains of Kashmir. So we'll leave him there for a little while. Mm-hmm. Come back to him a bit. So Wafa was still s- staying with uh, Ranjit Singh. And she found that he would go to almost any lengths to get his hands on the Koh-i-Noor, as word had reached him that she had it. But she protected herself and the diamond from him with uh, what you might say like cunning, ferocity, almost suicidal bravery. Um, A British traveler who met both her and Ranjit uh, wrote about her determination. She said that Wafa Begum was a woman of most bold and determined character, and her counsel had often proved valuable to her husband, both in the days of his power and his disaster. At Lahore, while at the mercy of the six, and absent from her husband, she preserved her own and his honor in a heroic manner. Ranjit Singh pressed her urgently to surrender the Koh-i-Noor, which was in her possession, and evinced intentions of forcing it from her. He also sought to transfer the daughters of the unfortunate king to his own harem. The queen seized on the person who conveyed the message and had him soundly chastised. She also intimated to the Maharaja that if he continued his dishonorable demands, she would pound the diamond up in a mortar and first administer it to her daughters and those under her protection and then swallow it herself, adding, May the blood of us all be on your head. Ooh. Whoa. So yeah, she's badass. threatened to eat the diamond, destroy it, eat it, and thus kill herself and her entire court. Uh, rather than hand it over and let her daughters be taken from her. Pretty pretty badass lady. Yeah. 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 Now, if uh, 
At the, so this is early 19th century? Yes. This is in the 18... 18 it starts in 1809. So now, we're the, probably around 1810 right now. Yeah. Okay. So at this time, is the diamond considered more of a symbolic or an actual means? Of, like, for example, if the Maharaja were mm-hmm. to have the diamond, would he be able to, you know, make a claim for Afghanistan of saying like there is like a divine right to it or at this point is it more of a symbolic it's a symbolic thing like owning the diamond isn't going to be a whole thing of like oh now everyone will bow down to you yeah. uh, you know but it is it's hugely valuable it's beautiful like it's worn on an armband by people right and like you look at it and you're like oh this person has this huge fucking diamond imagine how rich and esteemed they are kind of a thing they could feed everyone in the world for three days but they won't they want to wear it instead <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and uh, so it's it's a thing of just, like, it will make him look immeasurably powerful, you know, and in a lot of people's minds, cement him as a ruler. You know, there's some beliefs about it, like, leading to people's, like, success and valor kind of a thing. But, like, no, if he wants to, like, actually gain temporal power, the diamond isn't going to help him in as much as it's going to help him impress allies and things okay. like that. Does that, does that make yep. sense? Yeah. So uh, Wafa eventually heard the news about her husband uh, being imprisoned in this fortress in the mountains, and she cut a deal with Ranjit Singh. Uh, she told him that if he rescued Shah Shuja from his prison, she would hand over the Kohinoor. So Singh sent an army to the fortress and freed Shah Shuja, uh, and he brought him back to his palaces. But Shuja uh, was mad, mad, and while well, grateful for being freed. <laughs> You know, from these people threatening to put out his eyes all the time. Uh, he was still pretty determined to hold on to the Koh-i-Noor. And uh, he didn't want to uh, to honor this uh, this deal his wife had made. So, Ranjit Singh uh, turned up the pressure. So, how do you, how do you guys think that uh, he turned up the pressure? I, I would start, you know, bump up the thermostat in their bedrooms. <laughs> well, like one degree a day. Mm-hmm. Really. Uh, Make them sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Let a fire yeah. over their asses. Yeah, that yeah. diamond looks... Pretty maybe that'll parch uh, parch your throat. Just yeah. trade it for a single glass of water. Ooh, ooh. 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 oh, oh, yeah. I would. You can't you know, drink that, diamonds. That's what I would do. I'd turn the thermostat up like a day at a time, and yeah. then as they're getting thirstier, kind of like slowly start replacing their water with like smaller like diamonds and glass. Be like, oh, yeah, you need some water. Ooh, well, uh, we have diamonds. You can drink those. Um, and if. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know where the water is, but maybe if there was a big enough diamond, we could break it out of the cellar where it's all the water stored, and then we could get you some. <laughs> it's behind just a big glass wall, but we can't break it down because we'll get glass in the water. If only we had a diamond big enough to cut a hole in the glass. Oh, my God, and kill those giant gorillas mm. from the, the Congo highlands that no one's ever seen before. Mm-hmm, but they're all here. Yep. They're drinking your water. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would put Shah Shuja in a tower that resembled the one that he was trapped in, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then probably just like slowly start taking people from his court. Okay. What about taking his eyes out? Okay. Wow. Okay. So they have a lot of a lot of pressure on the eyes, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So Ayaki, you're actually pretty much there. So ah, uh, Shuja was uh, upon arriving in Lahore. He was separated from his harem put under house arrest, and told to hand over the diamond. He wrote in his memoirs, food was arbitrarily cut off, our servants were sometimes allowed to go and sometimes forbidden from going about their business in the city, and he saw this as a display of oafish bad manners and dismissed Singh as both vulgar and tyrannical as well as ugly and (laughs) low-natured. So Singh turned up the pressure some more. At one point, Shuja was put into a cage, and his eldest son was tortured in front of him. According to one source, uh, Mirza Atta, uh, in his, what a jerk for Suja Shuja to go back on this deal. Mm-hmm. Like he'd still be trapped. Mm-hmm. He should just give it over, or cut it in half. Then they each get part. Well, that's what the Brits eventually did. But we'll get to that. I was going to ask based on the cover of that book because uh, I think I may have seen part of this diamond in real life. So I, I'll get to that. There's an interesting story there. Hold on, I'm just looking up this one thing. So in the uh, Nawe Marak, Mirza Atta wrote. Ranjit Singh coveted the Koinor diamond beyond anything else in this world and broke all of the laws of hospitality in order to get possession of it. 
The king was imprisoned for a long time, and his guards left him out in the burning sun, but to no effect, as he would not confess where the jewel was hidden. At length they took his young son, Prince Muhammad Timur, and made him run up and down ladders on the bare roof of the palace in the burning sun, with no shoes or head covering. Oof. The child had been brought up and had a delicate physique, which could not stand this burning torture, so he cried out aloud and seemed about to pass away. The king could not bear to see his beloved child suffer so. But even then, uh, Shuja sent word to Ranjit Singh that he would only hand over the diamond in return for a formal treaty of friendship, Ranjit Singh's aid in getting back his throne, and uh, 50,000 rupees. This does not seem worth it. Uh, the Kohinoor? Yeah. Ah, uh, well, you haven't seen this giant's diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it on the outside of my jacket. <laughs> oh, it's so big and sparkly. <laughs> it is said to convey longevity and good health, ironically, because so many people have been murdered for it. <laughs> and many, many more. Well, not many more. A few people that died of horrible wasting diseases while wearing it. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> Ah, uh, Kalinor. Yeah, it doesn't seem worth it. Um, but this is like the largest diamond That's in true. perhaps the world, and people do crazy things for it. Mm. And uh, it, it's uh, it's not great to torture people. But again, I thought the method was just so specific. Yeah. 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 I'd like to imagine that he built a complex specifically for this. Mm. <laughs> Those buildings weren't used; they were just there. They're all built out of tin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the ladders are greased so that they keep slipping out of your hands. Yeah, it's yeah. like when people have decorative books. <laughs> <laughs> How so, Jackie? Because you're not using them for, as books. Right. You're you using don't... them to torture people. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's fucked up, Jackie. Jackie, what do you what do you think books are for? Well, no, the... I'm not saying that the books torture anyone. Uh-huh. I'm just saying... She, no, I, I mean, the, the whole thing is that, yeah, it's a big shit. Jackie's got a big shelf of decorative books. Mm-hmm. And if I'm walking by it and I don't see that she's creeping behind it, she pushes it over on top of me. So oh, she isn't going to read those books, but she will use them to, to crush me like a bug. And, and they're heavy like regular books. And then you're yeah. trapped there until you agree to give over to her uh, what, what's the, whatever the equivalent of a giant diamond is in your relationship. I, I assume quesadillas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd throw a bookshelf on Noel for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Before asking, <laughs> I think that's the key difference between uh, between this story and the real life. How it would shake out is just mm-hmm. like yeah, crash. Oh, oh my god, uh, 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 I'm dying. I'm... Well, why aren't you making me a case of you? Oh, you didn't, you didn't ask. You didn't ask. You just threw a bookcase but on. But now me. you're just laying there. Oh, you're yeah, making me because my spine's broken. <laughs> You didn't even try. Oh my god. Ooh, I can see my my innards. They're oozing out between the pages of Wuthering Heights. Ooh. Uh Bronte, you're a real genius. All those heights. They're weathered. <laughs> I've already left. <laughs> yeah. What's this? Oh Heathcliff. Oh, you rascal. <laughs> takes my wallet. <laughs> Just like... I'm, an, at I'm going to the quesadilla, quesadilla store. <laughs> I could have taken you there, Jackie. I would've I would have done it. <laughs> So Singh, uh, hearing this, hearing this determination, came to their dwelling a few days later, and according to Shuja's memoirs, the following morning, uh, Ram Singh came into our presence to request the Kohinoor diamond. We answered that it was not presently in our hands, but that whenever a firm treaty of friendship had been made between ourselves and Ranjit Singh, we would have no objection to bestowing it as a gift. The same request and the same answer were repeated day after day. For nearly a month, this continued. When the six realized that bad behavior was not achieving the result they desired, <laughs> Ranjit Singh sent several of his notables to ask what sum of money we might require. We replied again that upon condition of a firm treaty of friendship and unity being signed, we would have no objection. So some forty to 50,000 rupees were sent over in installments to our lodgings. But still we gave the same answer. <sighs> so when Ranjit Singh himself appeared at the Shuja's residence, uttering words of friendship and unity, bringing a written document much to the same effect, dipping his hand into saffron water to print a palm mark on the treaty, swearing by his sacred book, the Granth, and by his guru, Baba Nanak, with his hand on the blade of his sword, that any troops deemed necessary by his majesty for the reconquest of the province of Kabul and the punishment of the scoundrel rebels will be provided by the Sikh government. 
Then turbans were exchanged as a sign of perfect amity, and Ranjit Singh exclaimed, Now we have performed all the ceremonies of undying friendship. Can I please have the diamond? (laughs) 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 He must have been so antsy, that whole thing. Mm. Like, they just look at his leg and it's just shaking. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so after a lot of relatable childhood moments in this story, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. food ki- food fight gone wrong, being mm-hmm. like, "Oh my god, I did all the things you wanted. Can I please have it?" <laughs> uh, so it after a total of two months, finally, on June first, eighteen thirteen, Ranjit Singh uh, once more came to claim his diamond. And after they sent for it, received it, they sent you know had all this stuff processed, all that. And he waited upon the Shah in the walled city of Lahore with a few attendants. He was received by Shuja with much dignity, and both being seated, a pause and solemn silence ensued, which continued for nearly an hour. Ranjit then, getting impatient, whispered to one of his attendants to remind the Shah of the object of his coming. No answer was returned, but the Shah, with his eyes, made a signal to a eunuch, who retired and brought in a small roll, which he set down on the carpet at an equal distance between the chiefs. Ranjit desired his eunuch to unfold the roll, and when the diamond was exhibited and recognized, the Sikh immediately retired with his prize in his hand. (laughs) Finally! (laughs) Good night. (laughs) I really must be going. We're still friends. Just sitting there for an hour in total silence. Can you ask him about the diamonds? (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's it's a it's a story I like a lot. So, the Kohinoor spent the next thirty six years in uh, Ranjit Singh's kingdom. Ranjit had, frankly, a, a reign full of uh, other incredible stories that would make for great other anachronismos, and he comes off a lot better and a lot worse in a lot of the uh, in a lot of those stories. I mean, a lot of those quotes, or at least one of those quotes, was from uh, Shah Shuja's memoir. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not he's not going to sound the greatest not, in that. Not not super great there. Um, see, yeah, not, you guys sound terrible in my diary. Yeah, not going to give him the best reading there. <laughs> yeah, and Shah Shuja also wasn't that good of a dude. He routinely like tortured people for fun, mm. um, or just for minor displeasures. And Ron did oh, sing. So he's the one with the fake roof. They're both pretty bad, but they both are also pretty like were pretty important men and and did a lot of good things for their kingdoms and Ranjit Singh was actually pretty beloved by his people yeah outwitted the British Empire many times he was seen as like this great leader but he for the rest of his life obsessively and jealously guarded the Kohinoor he would like you'd start drinking and then he'd be like oh they're gonna get me drunk I better hide the Kohinoor and he'd like call for his guards and like hide the Kohinoor and be like I saw all of you looking at my diamonds stuff like that but you know in, in that he actually wasn't that different from a lot of other people who had who'd like Obtained no, like, the Kohinoor. Mm-hmm. Like, those, a lot of people went pretty crazy for this big old rock, which, yes, after many more adventures, was stolen by the British Empire, mm. cut in half uh, to make it look better, and cut into the brilliant diamond that is now uh, a British crown jewel. It lost over half of its mass. Uh, it now is only a 92 carat diamond, and when before it was 186, mm. and uh, is. Much diminished, but still an enormous, I think uh, one of the top ten largest diamonds in the world. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I saw it when I was in London last year. It's, it's it, really big. It's, it's Even a, for having been cut in half, mm-hmm, it's real big. Still a big boy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is the story of how Ranjit Singh uh, took the Koh-i-Noor. And if you're interested in more about the Koh-i-Noor or about uh, learning about uh, microhistory of the region through the lens, if you will, of it, I'd really recommend William Dalrymple and Anita Anand's book, Koh-i-Noor, The History of the World's Most Infamous Diamond. It's a really fun read. Uh, there's a lot more crazy stories in here about the Koh-i-Noor. A lot of like wild stuff happens. A lot of fortunes made and destroyed. A lot of people coming to pretty bad ends. Um, and there's just it's just it's just a real fun read. I yeah. I'd recommend it. It would have been great if, like, in a true childish sense, they had both gotten their moms involved at one point, <laughs> and they both had to, you know. Kind of like the moms had to like talk over the phone. <laughs> They're both like sitting there, like right next to it, just like, well, why can't they just share the diamonds? Well, your son tortured my son's <laughs> son. What? Ranjit did what? He Ranjit, would never. Come here. <laughs> your mom? Ranjit. 
Mrs. Shuja says that you tortured her grandson. No. Well, my son says he didn't do that. I don't. I don't know. No. He did. He you? was mean to me first. Well, two wrongs don't make a right wrong. <laughs> so part of Waffa Begum's. I definitely said that wrong. Waffa Begum. I was saying it Waffa Begum. Uh, there's no pronunciation guide in the book. There's no pronunciation guide I was able to find easily for it. Mm-hmm. So, Wafa Begum. Wafa Begum. Not Be- Begum. Begum. <laughs> just whatever you want to try. Um, so, just do, do your best. Wafa Begum. She threatened to turn the diamond into a paste and apply it to her court. To, pa- to yeah, to mash it up with a mortar and have her court swallow it. Oh, her to daughter cut up swallow their it and herself swallow it to cut up their insides. Ah, okay, I did not catch that part, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was just going to be like a like look at my people wearing body glitter, and you can't even get the diamond. <laughs> Our blood will be on your hands. Well, I as we're too beautiful to escape the hawks that will absolutely attack us. Yeah, I thought it would be like look at our sparkly people who then you know kill each other or themselves okay. to prove a point. I kind see. Of thing. Sort of a ritualistic suicide. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. okay. Like a, you can't have this. Mm-hmm. Look at our sparkly corpses. They'll, they'll glitter in the sun <laughs> and blind you. Yep. Like my brother-in-law was blinded. No, uh, yeah, she, uh, no, she was threatening to cut up her insides. And, yep, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That makes and a lot of sense. And destroy the diamond, which Ranjit Singh probably cared about more. Yeah. Yeah. Not a nice man. Mm-mm. No. 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 What would you do for a big giant diamond? I have one side comment first. Sure. How big <laughs> was Ranjit Singh's house that he could house an entire other court? It was a palace. But still. And he had other ancillary estates. Okay. That makes more sense. But like, why do you want your palace to be that big? Most of the city, I think. I guess you could just kick people out of their homes. Yeah. Okay, He's, that makes sense. Yeah. Question answered. Um, also, like palaces are intended to be large and house the courts of other uh, rulers mm-hmm. as part of like the way that uh, uh, treaties were formed. Because you don't just go by yourself or send one person because they can be threatened. Like if you're gonna have a whole have rulers meet, you generally have their whole court with them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what were you saying? Do you have it empty? No, it would just be funny if he had to evict another court because he was like, oh, the diamond court is here. Get out. <laughs> get out. Get, get out. out. Get out. Get out. Have, get out of here, Emerald you have, Court. You have two hours to clean out get, your room. Get out. Go on. No one wants you. Scat. Go on. Go to the fake buildings. I'm giving you two hours and then I'm sending in the peacocks. <laughs> They're mean. <laughs> but what would I do for a giant diamond? What would you do for a giant diamond? Probably nothing. You don't care that much about I a giant I don't. Diamond. I could get a regular rock and use it as a paperweight, which is probably what I'd use a diamond for, so it's in a place where people can see it on my mm, desk. Mm, I see, I see. I don't know if I'd keep a diamond long term. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd probably, I mm-hmm. probably would not go down the paperweight mm-hmm. route, and I'd probably wind up, you know, selling it or, or something to mm-hmm. that nature. But what would I do? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Like, is this supposed... So are you saying... What, like, would you, what would you do for a giant diamond? Right, but... Hire an appraiser to make an accurate appraisal. <laughs> mm. And then hire another appraiser to make an inaccurate appraisal so that I can get a deal on it from when I buy it. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Montpellier ham scam, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I thought you didn't want the diamond. Well, I don't mind. want the diamond, but in this you situation, think, I have to thinking about this giant oh, diamond. So I well, uh, had the opportunity to scheme. Mm. <laughs> but here's my like question to that: yes, for the diamond of getting that diamond. The am diamond. I, am yes. I supposed to be trying to get this from someone I know and am friends with, or like you know, am I trying to just? Are you setting up that, you know, I'm just trying so to get So what would you do a... for a Klondike bar situation? It's like you're walking along the top of a ravine. You see something sparkling at the bottom. You mm. catch eyes with your friend and you're both like, I want that That's diamond. a diamond. Or how do you trick someone out of a diamond? How do you trick someone out of a diamond? Mm. What would you do for a diamond that large? Do you push your friend down the ravine so what that you, you can then the... go down carefully and do pick the up the diamond? Mm. And please uh, uh, speak sensually into the microphone about the diamond. Would you push your friend down the ravine? For the diamond. Well, you set up a very specific... Noel, would you murder a man for a giant diamond? You would be the richest man in the world with that diamond. You seem like you needed a more narrow question. Mm, Such a big diamond. You could buy whatever you want. Think of all the cool ranch Doritos it would buy, Noel. Love cool ranch Doritos. 
You could have a mountain of cool ranch Doritos, Noel. You could sit upon it like you were a king, and not a metaphorical mountain, Noel, a real one that could match Everest, Noel. Don't you want that diamond? Yeah, probably just kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so you would push your friend down the ravine. <laughs> wow, fucked up, Noel. I don't know. I guess I can't be walking hey. near ravines with this hey, guy. Hey, he'd kill me for a diamond. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Cool whoa, ranch no, no, Doritos. No, 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 no. Oh wow, that's a squeaky that's a mountain. Squeaky too. mountain. That's a slippery slope. Okay, Noel. not just because you pushed me down it, Noel. <laughs> oh, okay. that diamond. Okay, you know what? If I want to be, if I want to have my cake and eat it too, I'll be the good guy. I will just injure the person. Mm. Then I will get the diamond, uh-huh. and I will pay for their medical care because I will have a lot of wealth. So you know what? They're square. They're back to where they started from, and I've got my diamond. But if you hadn't injured them, they could have had the diamond, no. Yeah, yeah but then I would have had a slightly smaller because you have to no, chip off little bits. So, yeah, actually, that's that, that's true. Like saying this diamond makes you the wealthiest person isn't true it's only until you it's when you sell it for the most amount it's, of money it's an asset no yeah. you can borrow against the diamond because that's the thing it's an asset any bank in the world would be like you have this diamond if you ever choose to sell it we'll be very rich so we'll lend you a loan yeah but against the, the loan diamond. yeah but then the loan gets interest and you're yeah. losing money but over you put it. the loan in a bank and you you invest the loan no you can't you, <laughs> you, you buy a road and you make a toll booth and you invest against the loan and old, and then you make your money back, and you get richer, and you buy a smaller diamond to complement the first diamond, so that you can see how big it is by comparison. No, and then you have two diamonds. Should be an econ professor here <laughs> later, just as a joke. Oh, I love the idea that you buy a second diamond just to show how big the first one is. This is a one-carat diamond. It would take a hundred and eighty-six of these to make my other diamond. Oh, my diamond. And then you sell the smaller diamond and you buy it. Something else. Bigger diamonds. Cool Ranch Doritos. And you still have your first diamonds because the bank knew that you'd be able to loan against the diamond. <clears throat> diamond. Yeah, so, you know, just killer meme. Wow. <laughs> I feel like I had to do a lot of the heavy lifting on this one. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, I, I would, I, you know, I was, you were probably about a third of the way through that when I already had my my answer. So it was kind of like you did the heavy lifting in the sense that, like, of lifting parts of it, you didn't need to. <laughs> Maybe I did. Just like holding a weight at the end of a stick, yes. and holding the stick as far. And you know what that weight is? No, it's a diamond. Even though my arms do burn and holding up its weight, it's worth it because it's so big and shiny. So what would you do for a diamond? Oh, you know, probably uh, swallow it. To to get the diamond? Yeah, then it's mine. Yeah, like sneak it out. Yeah. Mm. Gulp. But how big how is it? Gonna in eat it? How, yeah, how are you going to eat it? It's real big. It's bigger than my fist. You'd uh, have to be like an anaconda, like a, yeah. some type of snake I would, or I would lizard. Be like, I'd be like desperately trying to cram it in my mouth <laughs> as somebody comes around <laughs> the corner. <laughs> oh, oh, what do you got? What do you got in your mouth? Ice cube. Ice cube. That looks like a diamond. Oh. It's ice. It's ice. My teeth are really cold. I bone my tongue. I bought my uh, tongue, so I bought ice. I was running up and down a ladder all day. I'm really thirsty. Boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I do that. So uh, we'll take a little uh, mid-show break for a second. Hey, welcome to the break. So I hope you're enjoying the show. We love making the show. We love having you here and listening to it. Uh, so we hope you're enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're enjoying the show, uh, why not drop us a review on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, your your podcatcher of choice, or uh, you know, maybe write us on Twitter at uh, it's anachronismo at gmail dot com or at at uh, anac podcast on Twitter. Uh, we loved hearing from you. We love to like get shit from you. Last week we did our first listener uh, submitted uh, story, and we we loved doing that. It was a blast for us, and uh, we we'd love to have you send more in. Like we said, um, we love making the show. We love having people listen to it. So if you can drop us a review, that would help us a lot. Or if you just want to tell a friend, uh, maybe listen to it uh, with some other people, uh, that would uh, really really help blow up our spot. 
Also, we're part of the Make Fun Network. Uh, it's a network with other great shows like Top 5 of Death, This Rules, This Sucks. Uh, you might want to give them a listen or check them out on the Make Fun uh, Network community page, uh, which is also on Facebook. Is there anything else we want to plug before uh, before I leave this this uh, this zone? Max, this is where you insert like a water dripping noise, and I point to you on the... What about that hole in the ceiling, Max? Why don't you plug that? <laughs> <laughs> We're renters. We don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Let the landlords take care of it. Boop, 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 boop. Well, it looks like that hole's widening and widening, and what's that coming through the hole? What's dripping through the hole? It's the rest of the show! Oh, I thought you were going to do one of those, you know, undiscovered Highland gorillas from the movie Congo. It is! It's an undiscovered <laughs> Highland gorilla! And what's he holding in his hand? Oh my god, it's a laser gun! And what's firing out of the laser gun? It's the rest of the show! Oh my god, they got a hold of the laser. That's <laughs> literally the last... That was the only thing that could stop them, and now they have it. Oh no, that it's an ape society! And what are the apes all listening to? It's the rest of the show! Okay. Hi, oh, welcome you, back. Did you just call all of our listeners apes? God damn it, no one's trying to end the break. Now we're trapped here. We're trapped in the break, so I've used three outs, and that's all we get. And this is the whole rest of the show. It's just the break. You know what? Oh, God, what's that? Uh, what it's is the it? rest of the show. Uh, oh, my God. Hey, welcome back. So <laughs> It looks like a show that we're normally used to see, but I don't think anyone has ever seen a show quite like this. Let's shoot a laser at it. <laughs> so, Jackie. Oh, man. <laughs> so, avid listeners of the show probably know that I recently, uh, not so recently now, did do a segment on the Great Seattle Fire of, I believe, 1898. Never mind. Just a, a great Seattle fire. Um, and during that episode, mm-hmm. I mentioned that Seattle took the opportunity where a lot of their downtown burned to the ground as an opportunity to reevaluate their city and do broad public works projects and raise the level of their streets. Mm-hmm. So the way they did that was by filling them in with dirt. And you may be saying, well, where did they get that dirt from? Where'd they get that dirt from, Jackie? Oh, my God. They got it from the hills. The hills and the mountains. Oh, that's nice. Hills and mountains of dirt. Hills and mountains of dirt. Well, how'd they get the dirt into the city? Oh, it was in the city. It was just in higher parts of the city. I see. So they flattened their city Mm -hmm. to raise their roads. Yes. So that their roads could go up higher? Yeah. Basically, the downtown part was always flooding. So they wanted the opportunity to build up fill it in do a landfill essentially mm-hmm. and they also were like oh my gosh our hills are so big our horses and our wagons they can't get up they're so tired our horses are so tired my lazy ass horse can barely make it up half the way before it starts huffing and puffing and wanting to stop and eat a salt cube there ain't no nutrition in a salt cube why you want it so bad horse <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know tastes good i'm not a nutritionist or dietitian you're you're kind of you know more about it than me why are you giving that to me Uh, fine i'll demolish the hell for you horse okay that's what i'm doing for you horse you better be grateful horse i I don't think i have the capacity of feeling grateful or even conceptualizing just moving a hill Ooh, stupid lazy horse eating all my salt salt cubes Yes, I do. Grunt him up in your teeth, horse. Okay, we're planning on doing that. Good, do it. Oh, look at him go. Not grateful, though. Don't have the capacity to understand that. Oh. Just, just, uh, yeah, just. Just a horse. uh, Instinctual uh, satisfaction of Oh, look, he broke his leg. I'm going to make him in a glue. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, So the movers and shakers of the city of Seattle essentially thought that because the horses and the wagons would have a difficult time going up the hills, they were actually limiting the economic potential of Seattle since they were now kind of blocked in by some of their big hills, that the city wouldn't be able to expand and, um, you know, basically just grow because of these hills. So they launched an ambitious project to bring some of these gigantic hills to only 5% grades. So that's um, a five foot elevation over 100 feet. Um, and some of these hills were as high as 112 feet. 
like the one particular area that I'm going to focus on, one end of it was 112 feet up and the other end was 98 feet up. So this is just like a very, very tall hill. Um, and that one was called the Denny Hill. Denny Hill? Denny Hill. Yeah. So we're going to focus mostly on that. <laughs> I don't get it, but I find that funny. Denny Hill, you know, like Benny Hill. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> so this was a very elaborate project, and it's not like regrading was new. They had been doing some like unofficial regrading projects throughout the history of Seattle because it was a very, very hilly place. Um, they they called it a city of seven hills in a... um homage to Rome, but the book that I was reading for this said that they were counting loosely when they said it was a city of seven hills. Six hills, nine hills, yeah. 12 hills. It was hills. unclear if there were more or less hills. Look, well, we, we got one hill, but it's big. It's a real big <laughs> it's one. It's a big hill. A real big hill. So this was a super elaborate project where they ended up rerouting waterways, building canals, getting rid of rivers entirely. They turned a bay into a lake. They built the biggest man-made island. Like this was a humongous, humongous undertaking. But we're going to focus we're going to focus on Denny Regrade cuz it's fun and it has some people stuff in it. Okay. Unlike you can just be like, "Oh, nope." Oh, look at all these hills. Now I'll, we got an I'll, island. They're gone. Oop, island. Well, let's hunt people on the island. <laughs> so Reginald Herbert Thompson was the Seattle city engineer in 1892. He had designed the city's modern sewers. So he was big on reshaping the town. And he had established a water system also. So he was uh, known to be good at doing these sorts of projects. But his real passion was that he wanted Seattle to be straight and level so he could make some roads. And the book that I was reading literally said that he was affronted by the irregularity of nature. (laughs) (laughs) So Denny Hill became this like thing that he focused on that he wanted to flatten because it was a very, very big hill just north of the downtown part of Seattle. So Thomas believed that this hill was blocking the path to the north. And it was literally described as like the manifest destiny of Seattle to go northward and this hill was in the way and he was not going to let this hill get in the way of manifest destiny because why should a city that we built on top of something have to bend to that something (laughs) so arthur denny who the hill was named after his family they were some of the original settlers of seattle and the surrounding areas he was a prominent businessman and he actually wanted Denny Hill to remain a hill, but he also wanted it to become the home of the state capitol building. He had this grand campaign to move the capitol from Olympia to the top of Denny Hill. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be to inside of Denny Hill. Oh, that so been... you have to go down through a bunch of caverns to get there. Oh, that would have been uh, great. And the mayor's there and he's holding his little scepter of office and he's just like covered in slime. Welcome. Our first order of business, how do we make Denny Hill bigger? Ah! <laughs> I want to expand my dominion and bring me your finest baby sweet. <laughs> um, his campaign to move the capital from Olympia was unsuccessful. So what about he, his baby eating campaign? You know, it was unremarked on in the things that I read. So Different probably times. successful. We can assume Different it was a times. Yeah. success. Yeah. Yeah. So he gave up on that idea and decided that he was going to build a grand hotel instead. And so he did. In 1889, he built a hotel. But the panic of 1893 ended up halting construction. So the hotel is actually just a beautiful shell. It's only the outside. There's nothing on the inside. (laughs) And it's so elaborate. It's beautiful. It's like a Victorian giant hotel, but Mm -hmm. there's absolutely nothing on the inside. Is it fully like windowed and everything? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so I assume the rooms existed, but they didn't like carpet or put in floors or any furniture yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So it's just like this big old empty thing on the top of a giant hill <laughs> in what could have been the state capital. <laughs> oh, it's just it's just so sad. It's for ghosts to visit. Yes, probably. Uh, it's a bunch of ghosts staying in a hotel, getting room service, mm-hmm. drinking booze. So Arthur Denny was not doing well because of the panic. So eventually Denny Hill was bought by James A. Moore. And he eventually did complete the hotel and he renamed it Washington Hotel because this will not be the Denny Hotel anymore. This hill is not (laughs) Denny's anymore. And actually Teddy Roosevelt was his first guest in 1903. Oh, interesting. What did Teddy Roosevelt think of it? I do not know. Mm. 
but he got a ceremonial first key to the hotel. So Mr. Moore also decides it's like people had very grand plans, which I guess is admirable, but it just seems so grandiose to me. Like, I can't imagine being like, yes, my hill, it will be capital. This is the hill I will die on. As such, it's going to be capital. I'm going to die on that hill as well. Mm -hmm. Like, this hotel will be named after me. Mm -hmm. And this person, Mr. Moore, was like, I'm building a hotel and I'm going to make my own train line. So we don't have to worry about these stupid horses that can't walk up this hill. (laughs) We'll save on salt alone. We'll pay for the train. Uh, So he built a tram and he builds a theater and he builds a second hotel on the other edge of the hill. But a business is on tops of hills in extremely hilly places where wagons and horses can't reach it are not a good investment. But why? Because the horses get tired. You don't get all those greedy horses coming up and eating all your food. (laughs) Deliveries take longer. They cost more. People don't want to go up the top of the hill. What Um, do you mean by greedy horses? You know what I mean. No, I don't. You're eating my hat right now. I don't have the capacity to understand greed. I'm a horse. God, I can't wait till you're glue. Oh, okay. Well, um, I'm going to put a cow on the bottle just to mock you. Uh, oh, okay. So while Mr. Moore is trying to make make his hotels and theaters and train happen, Mr. Thompson, who um, has is probably sworn a uh, like a, a death swear against this hill, has already started doing some of the unofficial regrading processes just on like bits of the hill that aren't being occupied. Oh. <laughs> Just digging out half moons out of the hill with a Just shovel. Shows up at after like one in the morning. With a... <laughs> Just runs down the hill with his two bags full of dirt that he stole, cackling the whole way. <laughs> so eventually, uh, Moore decides that it does make a little more economic sense to build all his stuff on flat parts that aren't at the tippy top of a gigantic hill. And coward. In... <laughs> In 1906, he finally does build a new hotel at the bottom of the hill that he calls the Josephinine. Josephinian. Finian Hotel. Josephinian Hotel. Mm. And this was in 1906. And in 1908, they started the Denny Retrograde Phase 1 in earnest. One, and the fire was in 1890, 91? Mm, yeah, around then. So this person has had the idea of like regrading this for like 12 years, and it really hasn't made any progress in this time or well they've been regrading other areas of oh the city. okay this um, is this so one particular this is just one particular project of like a gigantic amount of projects that they were working on um so the way that they were actually regrading the hills was through a process of sluicing where they would pump all of this water up from lake union mm-hmm. and they would pump 20 million gallons of water per day and literally just shoot it at the dirt until the dirt came loose. Take that dirt. <laughs> now you're all wet. <laughs> yeah. So the wet dirt would then uh, slide back down the hill through underground tunnels and canals down all the way to the waterfront where it was filling in the um, that area there. Cool. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Um, they ended up sluicing 5 million cubic yards of dirt mm. from the hill. And this was an area of about 27 city blocks. So this is a this is a big old hill. Mm-hmm. Just gigantic. And it would sluice down through to the tunnels to Elliott Bay and fill in over there. Let's see, I think I mentioned this before, but they lowered the streets from 107 feet and 93 feet down to, I suppose, a little above sea water, sea level, because you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to make it flood after you went through all the trouble. <laughs> So they brought it down, and the purpose of this was also to increase property value. So, so sorry, they, they lowered the streets that they had raised? No, no, no. They lowered the hill. Oh, they lowered the, the hill. The hill was 107 feet tall. I see. Two street level. Two street level. Got it. Yes. Got it. Got it. Yes, yes. And then Whoa. they made an area of 27 city blocks. And that wasn't even the whole hill. They left a whole big old part of the eastern part of the hill intact. Just to spite it. I think it just was taking a long time. Mm. So they just did part of it. So the whole goal was to pretty much raise the city about to be about five feet off of sea level and like just kind of all flat for the entire expanse. I I don't know the particulars of how high they wanted it to be, but they wanted to bring the hill low enough that it would only be a 5% grade. Okay. As opposed to like a very, very steep hill. Because apparently 5% of the sweet spot 
where those horse can walk. Mm, mm. Oh, okay. I, when you had mentioned the grading before, I thought that was referring to how they wanted the the streets in the city to be designed, that they would go up five feet over like 100 feet, but it's for the surrounding yeah. hills. Yeah, to get up to a nice 5% grade, because 6%, yep. horse tips right over. Mm-hmm. Starts cartwheeling down the hill again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was a dual purpose thing. So they wanted to bring the hill down and also fill in the other area, so they just moved it from one spot to the other through their underground tunnels of sluice dirt. Sluice is also a weird word that I'm enjoying saying, but also hating. Sluice. 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 The sluice is loose. I sluiced a goose. The sluice, the I goosed some, no, I sluiced some goose juice. And I sluiced a loose goose in its caboose. Uh, Okay. Um, All right. No. That sounds disturbing. How so? It sounds like you're giving a goose an enema. Yes. <laughs> He's you've, very ill. You've made a powerful enema today. Speaking of enemas, let's talk about spite mounds. I love a good spite something. <laughs> spice so, ha- spite houses, spite mounds, spite girls. Yep. It's, and they're hit singles. <laughs> and they're hit single. If you want to be my level. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, so you can see some fantastic photos of where engineers have hacked away at hills except for individual property lots. Mm -hmm. And it's just like 100-foot-tall rectangles of dirt, and everything else is just carved totally out. It really looks like like an unfrosted chocolate cake is just in the middle. (laughs) Oh, it's so ridiculous. And sometimes you can see pictures of ones where like the homes are still all together on top of the ground and it's yeah, it's I, just so silly. I, I think I need to see a picture of this to get like the full No, I mean uh, after the fact. I did print one picture. Um, I don't know if I left it at work. Yeah. It's not here. No, it's no, here. just after the fact. I really want to kind of get put that oh, put that yeah. image behind it. There's a really cool photo essay in the Seattle Times that I came across. I would recommend that any of the listeners look that up cuz it's just fascinating. Googling spite mound right now. So it's a little unclear if spite mounds were really out of spite or if they were just kind of myths that built up. Because apparently one person who owned a lot of land that eventually became spite mounds, it turned out that he was just out of town at the time where everyone was hiring contractors to do their regrading. So he just missed the opportunity to get a contractor. But I mean, that was only one example. I'm sure some people were like bitter holdouts. Being like this, my grandfather, Mister Denny, had this Denny's here two hundred, not two hundred. I don't know. Hundred years ago, and he sold a grand slam to Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> who tasted it and said it was pretty good. <laughs> but by 1911, almost all the spite mounds were down, and it was nice and flat. Yeah, spite mounds is my favorite ride at Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I mentioned. There was this grand, grand vision of progress, manifest destiny, expanding northward. And this was all during the time of City Beautiful, which was like this architectural philosophy that if you make something monumental and full of grandeur, you will inspire morality and civic engagement and just make it beautiful and the people will be beautiful and like society will be beautiful. So there's this guy, Virgil Bogue who was super into that, and he was contracted to make a proposal for what this new 27-block area would be. And he makes this really, really elaborate thing. He's, like, inspired by the Olmsted brothers, and he, he just, like, has this really crazy, beautiful plan. Um, and then the city is like, no, no. There's no money for it. Yeah, this is going to be We expensive. spent all of our money on... on I- killing a hill. <laughs> <laughs> This is expensive. We committed helmicide. And during this time, you know, we've we've started inventing the automobile and we're no longer limited by horses going up hills. We can just drive over them or around them. We've already expanded north. We didn't need to do this. (laughs) But how much salt do the cars eat? Will there be any left for me? No. Oh. Cars don't eat salt, so we stopped harvesting it oh no no one has salt anymore oh no it's all just these natural procaloric salt like licks i i don't have does it taste like salt not at all okay (laughs) (laughs) uh more important to the reason this whole plan was turned down than the invention of cars which was a little bit later was that 
the downtown area was like, we don't want to move north. All of us landlords down here, we're doing pretty fine. We're doing good. We don't want to lose out to the north. So they start building taller buildings and they can get more value for their land if they go up rather than north. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a big letdown. Sounds Virgil, like a let up. For, <laughs> Virgil Pogue's vision never came to fruition and that area never really had a grandiose or exciting plan. It just became like cheap land and people just put more storage areas there and it mm. became an extension of a port place to entertain those sailors who are in from port. So kind of the opposite of it. Yeah, plan. it kind of went pretty pretty grungy uh, or just not, uh, maybe not, grungy's not the right word, but it was not as... Uh, not as, not as not nice. As, not as fancy yeah. as, as they had planned. Yeah. So in uh, 1929, they started phase two of the regrading plan. Perfect timing. Um, oh, yeah. I see. I see you. <laughs> you figured it out. You figured it out. Oh. <laughs> they, they never really finished oh. is, uh, is kind of kind of what happened. So they started the regrading. But now it's 1929. We don't need to shoot water cannons at hills. We have power shovels and conveyor belts. We don't need underground tunnels. So they have all this really cool tech now to move the hill. And it was just so cool. They invented something. I don't know if they invented it. They used something called the scow, which was like a self-tipping boat where they would fill the scow with dirt and then push it out. It was essentially like a barge. They would like push it out into the ocean. And it would sink. (laughs) And it would sink. Yeah, it would. It had a tank on it that it would fill with water as it was out, and then the whole thing would tip over. And then the way it was built, that tank would then dra- drain. It would tip back over. This time, all the dirt's now in the in the water, yeah. and this thing was perfectly fine and empty now, ready to be brought back and filled up with dirt again. It was like this thing that like self sunk and then rewrited itself. Wow, it's so cool. <laughs> So cool. I want to find a video of one of these. Yeah, yeah. it's a controlled capsize is yeah, what yeah, it was yeah. called. Yeah. But they, in this second phase, so this area hadn't been doing too well because no one wanted to actually build on what remained of the hill, even though a lot of time had passed from the first regrade because they were like, well, they're just going to come and finish off this. So there really hadn't been much economic development over there. Um, but they did end up tearing down this like beautiful architectural gem called the Denny School. So Poor Denny. They're they're losing their hill. They lose their hotel. They're losing their school. Well, the one thing they managed to hold on to was their chain of best-selling restaurants. (laughs) I wonder if there is a connection. Probably not. I choose to believe. So the second regrade ended up flattening uh, 38 blocks. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it was big. It was real big. Lots of dirt. Lots of dirt. Um, And then the Great Depression hit. They stopped the regrade. And that also contributed to lack of economic development in this newly flat spot that was made specifically for economic development. All the scows sank themselves and never uncapsized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently now um, it's kind of uh, the headline or the subheadline in the article I read was seedy but serviceable describing hmm. the area. That's uh, yeah. really damning so, with faint praise. Yeah. 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 Or, so they, they really fell from their beautiful city hopes. Really sluiced it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sluiced it right down those secret tunnels. Not the secret, secret. They really sluiced it down those underground tunnels mm-hmm. into the bay. But yeah, definitely recommend people go look at those pictures. They are really entertaining. I looked at a couple. It's very good. <laughs> yeah. Just, ugh. A big old pilot, and there's a house on top. It just looks ridiculous next to us neighbors, which are not on <laughs> these shitty little hills. Do you have a hypothetical, Jackie? What quality would you want to bring about in a city? And if you could do that through architecture, how would you do it? Uh, I would petition very strongly for very separate car lane, bike lane, sidewalk. Because, you know, as safe as you know as good as it is that you know we have bike lanes and encourage people to use uh you know more sustainable modes of transportation like man you're you're putting a two thousand three thousand pound car against like a 25 pound bike like anything like any like bad steering or something like that that just oof. with full foresight probably separate lanes for you know sort of lightweight vehicles versus heavy vehicles versus pedestrians. 
Hmm, how very sensible. I would want to make a silly, joyous city. And I would make uh, just like fun dance music be pumping outside everywhere so people have no choice but to just smile and dance. Birds I, dropping I, dead out of the sky. I, <laughs> Max leaving the city forever. <laughs> Hatred just, in his eyes. You, you like could just the say sidewalk you, has little like squiggles so you have to kind of like bop to walk around. You could just oh, say you, you just don't want Max living in your city. Just want to chase Max out of your city. I said I want a silly city full of joy and silliness. Yeah. I think we all knew what that meant. Can't All right, Jackie, if you're the only person in this city, can it I don't think it qualifies as a city at that point. I think it's just What's a, the, a playground for a Jackie. Her, a hermit, yeah. Yeah. A the hermit. hermit's playground. Yeah. <laughs> just have, like just like almost like uh yeah, you just hear this like echoing loudspeakers with this music through empty streets and you see a little figure in the distance. I think I'd have enough, <laughs> I'd have enough trees and plants so it wouldn't like be ominously echoing. I feel like there'd be enough dust and spider webs that it would be pretty ominous though, with just you in the city. Yeah. yeah, the music will definitely scare off a lot of wildlife. <laughs> well, I mean, if all my- and of course, without, no one's, because you you can maintain some of those yourself. But you can't maintain all of them. Yeah, all and the other Jackies that mu- will be that there. Movie's gonna, that music's gonna like slowly do- start dying off. But before it does, gonna get a little slow and creepy. Macarena. <laughs> 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 Uh, yeah, I was hoping you would have a goofier answer to that question than okay. your very serious one. Okay, I'm going to think of a goofy one while Max uh, goes next. I don't know if you had a sensible or goofy one. So, oh, oh yeah, sure. Go with what you're doing first, and then. Uh, well, I'm not going to do a sensible one because okay. that's not fun. Okay. I would have canals all through the city, but not just like canals to get like from place to place that's on the same level. Canals that go up and around. So you can ride Ooh. a canal all like the way up, canals. like up canals, all the way like up all of the buildings a like, log and around ride. them. Then, yeah, log flume rhymes to, to get places and you have, everyone has gondolas. So you gondola yourself up and like you, <laughs> and you go up, you like lock into like a little and it takes you up and then you're up on the upper level of the of the canals and they go from from uh, building to building in your gondola up on the upper level so you can look down and wave at the people and see on the street level all this cool stuff and then when it's time to go down again whoa <laughs> it would cause a lot of deaths but i think it would be really beautiful it does sound fun plus you know it's a humid city <laughs> <laughs> it makes it humid that's what every city wants more humidity mm-hmm. because you know it's not the heat it's the humidity that you want <laughs> I would have a lot of public squares that were all like um, bowl shaped, like like the dipped in the center, and I, and at the bottom of it, I have like free food for like animals, and then like the animals would all like roll down into the center of the bowl, and you just have a big bowl full of puppies. Oh, that's great! <laughs> I love it. Silly city. Or, well, I think you know, first you should pick a cat- pick a quality that you want to your citizens hmm. to have, and then think of what infrastructure will bring that quality. Like my out. category is gondolas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Um, all right, my category will be extra legs. <laughs> and how are you going to achieve that, Noel? We're going to build around Chernobyl. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. We love having you. We hope you enjoyed our show. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And this has been Anachronismo. You put your second from the left foot in. You put your second from the left foot out. Put your second from the left foot in, and you shake it all about. If you know, if you actually had when your extra leg grew, it like grew out muscle and skeleton rather than just be a weird floppy sack of uh, disjointed skin and tendons. Slide to the left. And that's how you do the hokey poke. Slide to the right. Slide up with your extra leg. Brought to you by Make Fun Network.